Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, episode number... What are you doing? <laughs> Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, listener, episode 56. We're I know glad what he's here. doing. He's making a coffee. sound of a dying dog. A dying dog. Horrendous. And why? And Well, we're not going to say why, because say we don't want to give anything away. Andy's no, in mourning. I'm in mourning. That's all I'm going to say. It's not a real dog. No. Okay. So welcome to episode 56 <laughs> of the Thinklings Podcast. <laughs> Ooh, we need a breather here. It was a very is, you know, real after, dog. It okay, was a very is, real dog in the story. In the story. Okay, that's enough. No spoilers. No spoilers. So there's a, there's a roundabout reason for this, okay? This is one of the best parts of the podcast. After listening back through Forever. many episodes over the weekend, you're like, Charlie, why were you listening back through all these episodes over the weekend? Well, it was brought to my attention that there was no s- specific location where we had all of our books that we'd mentioned in Books and Business chronicled. There was, from the end of last season, there was a season one recap, and we are in season three. Three. So I was like, you know what? We probably need to update that on the website. So if you go to our website right now. What a guy. At the top of the website, right in, just in time for Christmas, by the way, you can. there's this little tab there called Need Books. Need Books? Yeah. I, just I was thinking, like, got milk? Only, like, need books? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you click on that link and we have all of the books that we have mentioned in Books and Business from season two and the summer episodes. Uh, I don't know how many there are, but there are a bunch of them there. So if someone got you for Secret Santa and you're like, hey, well, I guess you wouldn't know if they got you for Secret Santa. If someone is looking <laughs> to buy you a gift and you're like, hey, you could just go That's to so this good. website and you could buy anything on it, and I know it will be good. And you could even tell them, like, pick something in the 8, 9, or 10 category or something, yep. you know? So just a little bit of background. So bring it full circle here. Roll up the ball yarn. The reason why I know that those little fun, laughy, bantery moments are the best part of the podcast, because I just listen to, like, 15 of them in a <laughs> row, and it's I, I, the, I think that's the, the beauty of podcasting is that it's this relationship thing happening in audio form, which is fun. I think people can imagine what it's like to be here. Um, but uh, also there's good value there with just these list of books. So I do want to give a caveat here. Caveat. Uh, if you're scrolling down through that and you see some of these names are hyperlinked, you're like, huh, why is that one orange and that one's gray? Well, if you click on that hyperlink, it's going to take you to Faith Bookstore in Amazon. And it's going to show you that listing and that would be processed through Faith. So I know a lot of people buy things in Amazon. Some of us aren't super fans of Amazon, but... uh, Some of us aren't fans at all. Some don't want to use it at all. And you can click to Faith Bookstore. It's right at the top of the page. It says, if you aren't the biggest fan of that website I just mentioned, that's exactly what the text says, you can just go right on over to fbbcbooks.com. You can order any of those books there directly from the bookstore. And I would say that's the that's the best. That's the 10 on the Thinkling's goodness scale. Okay. Um, but if you're like, hey, you know, uh, you know, a seven or a six is good too. Well, you can click those hyperlinks and it's going, like I'm clicking on the Moody Handbook of Theology right now. Boom. Hey, uh, there's two in stock uh, from the Faith Bookstore. And you can click buy now and boom, Tim's going to get a little ding over there on some technology and you'll get that book in uh, a week. 
Charlie has no idea how it works, but we'll we'll get it taken care of. Hey, well, I don't have all the nuggets of wisdom, okay? Oh. So. Horrendous. If you need to find a book. Keep going. If you need to find a book for a gift or something like that, it's there. It's there. uh, And it's aligned with the goodness scale. And so just, uh, there's a, a lot of ones. There's a lot of ones, which is, I'm glad I read it, but it's not really necessary. Some of those we might have ranked higher. Uh, and as I was listening through the episodes, I couldn't find if we actually gave them a number rank. And so I was like, well, we recommended them. So they're on the list. So let's just cram them all in there at number one. So there's a lot of things at number one. That's not necessarily like some of those books are really ones, but I just didn't know where to put them. But just, just so you know, if you scroll all the way down, here's a couple of tens. Abolition of Man, the Lord of the Rings, mm. here's nines, the moon is always round, the Baptist distinctives, the making of an atheist, have we no rights is an eight, that little voice in your mind by Nacelli, um, which I couldn't find at Faith Bookstore, but there is a uh, something about the it's, forming of the conscience by Nacelli. So, so here's the thing, the, the supply chains are all messed up right now, and that book specifically is on back order, and who knows when it's going to actually show up. So that's what's going on with that one. When but if we you want have a book it, about the conscience, there's all, there's a close option that you can link to. It's right there. Uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, a little update there for you. And uh, with that, we have some other Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about some books. And I think, Andy, you going first? I am going first. So this week for books and business, I'm only going to read a chapter of a book. I may come back to it later, but I'm going to do this because... You're going to read the whole chapter for the us? The whole chapter. No. <laughs> I'm referencing a chapter. So This is not going to be short. We, we've talked about this book before. It's The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church by Al Mohler. Um, and so I remember I got this book. Actually, I own this book already on Kindle. Sorry, Tim. But uh, it was my mom's birthday a while back, and she wanted books. And so I got her this book, and she read it. Beautiful. And she's like, here, you can have it. And so now there's like this pipeline. Thanks, Mom. I think your mom is our biggest fan. I do think she is. And now she gives me books that I buy her. So guess what she's going to get a lot of in the future? Oh, boy. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, yeah. Anyways, she actually read this and thought it was a, she thought it was pretty good, but then she's like, you should read this. So the very first chapter, though is The Gathering Storm Over Western Civilization. So he covers the church, human life, marriage, family, The Gathering Storm over all these areas of your life. Um, The Gathering Storm is an homage to Winston Churchill's book, The Gathering Storm, where he talks about World War II. Uh, Moeller's a World War... He's a a Churchill buff. So I teach Western Civ, and so I wanted to read just the chapter on Western... on this Churchill? Like Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. So this chapter is really great. Um... It's not, so it's both hard and easy. If you don't know the stuff that he's talking about, like he talks about Gothic architecture, he talks about the burning of Notre Dame from last year, two years ago. Uh, He's going to talk about the French Revolution and the various factors that went into it, the cult of reason, the cult of the supreme being. There's just tons of stuff going on here. Pragmatism comes up. Then he talks about secularism, and I really like what he says about secularism. He actually quotes Peter Berger, way to go, man. It's, it's really intriguing. But if you don't know any of that stuff, then it's going to be kind of like drinking from the fire hose, but it's helpful. Yeah, it's a, who's Peter Berger? Peter Berger is a sociologist who in the 70s... Oh, yeah, thank you, Tim. This is good. In the 70s, a guy by the name of Harvey Cox wrote a book called The Secular City. Do you ever ask a question and then regret it? <laughs> who's Harvey Cox? Harvey Cox is the divinity professor who well, used to be at Harvard. I believe that's Harvard. 
It's hey, hard. I just stop it. This Knock is it great. Off, oh, jerk. I didn't even catch it. You were totally messing with me, Charlie, and I didn't catch it. But now they know who Harvey Cox is. So he wrote a book called The Secular City, where he said basically in the 70s or the 60s or 70s, they were saying secularism is happening whether we want it, whether you think it's going to or not, because as we get less uh, mystical and we get more scientific, people are going to stop believing in religion. And so they brought up this theory called secularization, where the world was going to become secular. In the 25th anniversary edition of Secular City, Harvey Cox is like, yeah, that didn't exactly go like we thought, because actually religion has stayed the same or grown in that time. Peter Berger wrote a bunch of sociology stuff. So his main book is The Sacred Canopy, where he talks about why um, secularization charted the path that it did that kind of astounded people. And Moeller walks you through that in here in, in like a very lay level. So I really liked the chapter. I'm going to use some of the stuff as I teach Western Civ. Not a lot of it, but I'm going to use some. So I really enjoyed it. But I was just going to say, if you're a listener and you find a book and you find one chapter that looks useful, you can read that one chapter and put the book down and you're not failing. And some people out there, if you don't finish the book, you feel like you've lost it, but that's okay. Read what you want. Read what you're interested in and what will help you and then put it down. That's okay. I was still muted. How about we try that again? So if I'm understanding your tone correctly with only reading one chapter, are you going to give us a rating? Well, having not read the rest of the book, I feel like it would be unfair. If I had to only rate this chapter, I'd say at least a four. It was very helpful. The Thinkling's chapter scale? Is that well, a new thing? I would uh, just say if no. I had to prophetically guess, I'd give it a four. I'm glad I read it. Do you need to read it? I think you could be okay with it. I would put it Tim and I were talking about this earlier. Erwin Lutzer's book, um, we, will not, we Shall Not Be Silent, we referenced this a couple of weeks ago. Mm. It was good, but there's not a lot of footnotes. And so if you're looking for all the academic evidence, you're not going to find it here. But I like his content more than Lutzer's. He's more academic. So that's why I want to like maybe a five. I like it. I think it's, a good, I think yeah. it's good. So when I'm listening back to this in like three or four months, I'll put it as a five. One. Oh my word. <laughs> I got three books on that list I'm changing people. So horrendous. I should, you know, if I was really on top of my game, I would like open a Google Doc right now and like record that. I've already got it. So Tim, out. you got a book? I do have a book. <laughs> they can't see me not opening a Google Doc. <laughs> uh, so I have Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney. Uh, this book was recommended to me by a pastor and pastor's Who, wife. Who's Carolyn Mahaney? CJ Mahaney's wife. Oh, okay. Who's CJ Mahaney? I'm sorry. <laughs> CJ Mahaney, I will answer the question because a lot of our listeners don't know, but he's written a lot of really good books like Living the Cross-Centered Life. And Ooh, that's Worldliness. Good. Worldliness. Yep. Yep. Humility. That was a good one. Humility. Yeah, several. These are little books, by the way, that I don't know if we've really recommended any of CJ Mahaney's books, but I would put them pretty high on the Thinkling's Goodness scale. Uh, we should, I think you recommended well, worldliness. He, yeah. He, he kind of had some issues, and I, so he kind of yeah. fell out of favor for a while. So I think. Yeah, I don't his, know what happened with all that. Eh, we'll just leave it there. We'll leave it there. So I think, I think just to be fair, I don't know that the, there's some accusations made against him, and I'm not sure they're true, and I think that's the issue. So I think he got less airtime in the last six, eight years than he used to. But his books, I agree with you. They're very good. Mm -hmm. So in this book, uh, obviously it's written to ladies, Feminine Appeal, written by a lady, C.J. Mahaney's wife, Carolyn Mahaney. And uh, the she basically goes through developing a biblical theology of femininity, what does it mean to be a woman, and uh, how to um, be a biblical woman. So she talks about Titus 2, obviously a very important text when it comes to um, biblical womanhood, and then the delight of loving my husband, the blessings of loving my children, 
Um, and she just works through in nine different chapters about um, uh, biblical womanhood. Uh, I liked the book. I thought she really did a good job. It's very readable. Uh, I haven't completely finished it. I'm about halfway through. Uh, again, kind of like Stearns, I was pretty much after one chapter, and uh, but I read more than that one chapter. One of the things I look for when I'm evaluating a popular level book like this is uh, how many times they reference the Bible. Uh, so if you're ever in our bookstore even, and you're just browsing around and you want a popular level book on, you know, in the women's topics section, just, you know, see how often they quote the Bible. Uh, it's a good gauge for you. And she she uh, quotes the Bible on a semi-regular basis. It's decent. And so, uh, yeah, I would I would recommend this book. I think I'd put it maybe like a six, perhaps, on the Thinkling's Goodness Sale. Uh, Feminine Appeal by Carolyn Mahaney. Here's a question for you. I mean, we want to go off. Maybe this is a topic for another time. I think we did have a listener message us on Facebook about this or email. But so when you're when you're sifting through books by Christians, how high of a threshold do you need to have for correctness or the, the inverse would be heresy? So like, what's interesting is the more people, this is the thought that popped in my head when you were saying what you said about referencing the Bible. The more they reference the Bible, the more opportunities there are for me to disagree with their interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, maybe that's just me being... So never talk about the Bible. Yeah, I don't know. But, well, I I remember you mentioning, I mean, again, I'm coming off a wealth of listening back to old episodes. You mentioned uh, the five views on apologetics book, and there's William Lane Craig, and then I can't remember who you mentioned did the um, presuppositional view. John Frame. John Frame. And the comment you made was after these other guys, he's like, well, where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? (laughs) But then if a William Lane Craig did use the Bible, I would have a whole other host of issues. Yeah. Because he would interpret things and I'd be like, dude, that is janky. Mm -hmm. And so... And sometimes he'd be right on. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes he'd be off. Yeah, but the Bible is the authority. So even if he's interpreting it wrong, he needs to be using the Bible to support his view, and then mm. the point of conversation. So you're, you're distinguishing between that's a that's a good that's a really good thought. Distinguishing between their philosoph- philosophical approach to what they're doing versus what they've actually produced for you. It gets into even like listening to somebody preach. You know, I might disagree with their interpretation, but if they're using the Bible our difference isn't like a philosophy of preaching and just be a distinction in how the text should be understood. Yeah. So, I mean, with this one, like she has her one section, the pleasure of purity and she quotes song five and she uses it correctly as, as uh, exegetically and uh, teaching ladies, you know, about intimacy and uh, she does a great job with it. So, I mean, Mm. that was like a plus good job. Um, I don't think I saw any bad interpretation here, but, um, you know, she's communicating truth through a very similar lens that I'm communicating, or theological grid that I'm communicating truth. So it's, it's good. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to that with our Thanksgivings episode in a couple of weeks, where we usually for that, we go through a bunch of listener stuff because we're thankful for listeners. Um, and I think there was a message we got on Facebook about how do you find good Christian books? Mm-hmm. You know, something. And when a good Christian book is using the Bible and they're explaining that your life needs to change because the Bible says this, then guess what you need to do? Change. You need to change your life. Okay. 
Now, if somebody is saying, you need to change because I say so, then, well, they might be right, but the authority is now them. That's why I'm looking in a popular level book for the Bible. And say you have a preacher who is saying, hey, you need to do this. And you might be like, that's not what that says. Like in the sense of they're telling you something that is true, but you're like, that passage isn't what I would, you know, I don't see that in that passage. If it's in the Bible anywhere, you, you still need to, still do it. to listen. <laughs> yep. The authority. It doesn't matter. But okay. So uh, here's what I have for my books and business way back in the day, before we started recording these things, when we would get together on like a monthly basis, we had a thing that we would do with each other and it was, you need to bring something creative. Bring an offering. You remember that? Yep, we called yeah. it an offering. You had to and bring so an we would write silly little poems or uh, things like that, you know, a bunch of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if I ever brought a silly poem. No. I brought silly poems. You did. Uh, I brought I a wonderful was... coffee poem. Oh, I remember that one. That was good. Yeah, anyway, was good. so the reason why I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hedging my bets here, the, the, the reason why I'm bringing that up is, so what I have here is a Christmas carol. Uh, based on a book <laughs> by Charles Dickens. And this is something creative, and here's why. It's because well done. this is this is what the fall drama well done. at Faith is. And uh, I am playing a number of roles in this, so I've been doing something creative for a couple of months now. And uh, by the way, if you listen to this, you want to come at Friday at 7. Uh, at, uh, Isn't it also at 2.30? There's a matinee not? at okay. 2 or 2.30, yeah. But uh, so what's interesting is we've actually mentioned Christmas Carol before on multiple occasions. And uh, you actually brought it up in your discussion of Robinson Crusoe. Again, I have the wealth of remembering this because I listened to it over the weekend. I remember because I said it. Yeah. What did you say? (laughs) Well, Robinson Crusoe was much more evangelical than a Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol was very much. The message is different. Yeah. uh and, And I now have the benefit of playing, acting the ghost of Christmas present where when they're at the cemetery and Scrooge, who's having this change of heart take place, he asks, how do all these children die? And the ghost of Christmas present responds of cold, of hunger, of poverty, of disease, of the careless neglect of comfortable thousands. Sounds like you have that line memorized. I do have it memorized. Even look. (laughs) And so what's the message? The message is, a very, uh, very, I, I won't. A very social message. Yeah, social gospel. Very social message. But well, it can't be the it can't be the social gospel unless you say this is the gospel. Okay. It can be a social message. I think Christians do this a lot. Yeah. If there's any social influence, they assume it's the gospel. Yeah. But, so here's here's how sorry. I'm kind of justifying it in my own mind is the reason why Scrooge neglected all of those issues was because of how bitter. And like curmudgeoning he was. And I, th- and I think overall the message of it would, instead of it pr- prominently being go donate to whatever and, uh, you know, help the poor, feed the hungry. I think the primary message that will be received is don't be a Scrooge. And so like, if you are a Scrooge, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to love people. Hmm. And I think uniquely for a Christian, you, you're commanded to not be a Scrooge. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- that's kind of how, I, but anyway, that's my something creative. I've been working on that and uh, we have a show this week. So come out if you want to. That's really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like how you even made a distinction between the social gospel and then just doing social good things. Well, I do, and because again, Ephesians two ten is that we go out and do good works. Generally, I think those are being sanctified. It's like walking in godliness. Yeah, right. But I also think like it's not wrong for a Christian to go and do whatever. No, it's not. Do well, it. and I mean, you could really, you could really read into, you know, well, what changes him? Well, he's got these three ghosts, you know. So it's not the son and the. I think that the was... Father, it's the spirits. Oh, boy. Um, oh, no. Horrendous. Which, you know, is somewhat in kin to uh, our views of sanctification. Well, there wasn't oh, any oh, real oh. regeneration or whatever. That was... There was no... Anyway, yeah. Let's not get into that. But anyway, so that's... I Honestly, I, I've loved being a part of this, but it's, you know, depending on the week, six to ten hours a week. And guess what has suffered? Reading. Yeah. And so, like, you oh. mem- you're memorizing lines and you're practicing. It's like, man, I'm excited. I'm, well, I'm excited for the drama. I'm also excited to have another six to ten hours to read. <laughs> Alyssa, if you're listening to this, I'm so thankful to be in the drama, but I'm excited to read again starting next week. So. And I'm going to piggyback off of that. I sent a message to some of my students today, and this is a really hard time of the semester. There's a lot of assignments that are hitting, and... um I could just kind of feel that some of my students were maybe hurting a little bit more. I encouraged them to think through the exhortation from 2 Timothy 2, to be a soldier and to cast off the distractions of this world. A soldier is wholly focused, okay? Charlie's not wholly focused right now. He's distracted by this drama right now. That was horrendous, I know. Well, the other way of saying it is I'm wholly focused on the drama. (laughs) Which your director would love to hear. (laughs) Okay, so point being is if you're struggling with your academics, I want you to just look at your life, okay? Delete some apps off of your phone and be sanctified. Uh, Be that soldier and do the work of the ministry. And, you know, based on that exhortation, I, for a long time, have not had games on my phone, except for one now. I do have chess.com. Oh, yeah, that is legit. I support that. I have no it's games a on my phone. Than you know, Clash of Clans. I have no idea what it is. Whatever. It's just chess? a chess game you can play online with each like other people. You know what chess oh, is? Chess. Oh, okay, I didn't. You know it sounds like people? chestnut or something. I didn't. Chestnut.com. <laughs> you break open these nuts. <laughs> I thought it was. You some... are a squirrel. No. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, what's in this episode? Andy. I'm ta- yeah. I'm talking about. Uh, maybe I should do a quick intro to that. Hold on. Let me pull it up here. It's 56. Uh, so I'm going to talk about discontentment. And that discontentment. would be great production of a podcast, right? If, if we, we let you preview that. the content. <laughs> wow. We're, we're going to talk about discontentment being both a vice and a virtue, which is kind of contrary to what I've been saying this whole series, that you don't want to be discontent, you want to be content. But today, we're actually going to talk about why it's good to be discontent. So hopefully you're totally confused. Good. Listen to the episode. All right. Let's have a conversation about contentment again. But today we're going to talk about discontentment. So if you've been following my sec- my sessions on this podcast this season, I'm kind of going on this uh, odyssey of contentment studies. And up to this point, we've been talking about being content, what it is, uh, why we ought to pursue it. Today, we're going to talk about why we need to be discontent, which is going to sound contrary to what we've been saying. But actually, the Bible wants us to be content. And it also wants us to be discontent. 
So I'm going to go back to our main passage we've been living in in Philippians chapter 4, 11 and 12. I'm just going to start off reading that to remind us. Then I'm going to skip to chapter 3 and point something out. And again, if you've uh, by now purchased the book, The Secret of Contentment by William Barclay, you probably have gotten into this idea. This is one of his ideas, and I really appreciate it. So that's why we're sharing it today. Uh, if you haven't gotten the book, I mean, I would I would still recommend it. It's a It's been a really helpful book for me personally in my walk with God. So diving into chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and of facing hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him or Christ who strengthens me. So, We've, we've been talking about and thinking deeply and broadly about what it looks like to be content in every circumstance, what it looks like to pursue that kind of contentment in the Lord. But uh, Barclay pointed out that there's actually a type of discontent that's good and biblical. And so he takes us to chapter 3 for this. If you want to flip back a chapter to chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to start there. Here Paul says, and he's talking about running the race, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on, like he's striving forward, he's putting effort in, he's really trying. I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, let those of us who are mature think this way. Um, What he points out here is that in one sense, Paul has learned to be content. No matter what his circumstance is, if he has plenty of money, plenty of things that he needs, he has all of his needs met, he's content. But if he is abased, if he's going through a trial, if he has a lack, a loss, if life is difficult, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, whatever it is, he is content. And so Paul shows us that because of Christ and our connection with Christ, we can be satisfied, content, no matter our circumstance. And so that's been very helpful for me thinking, you know, is my day a good day or a bad day? Did I get all the things done that I wanted today? Did I have tons of interruptions? Did something bad happen? Did I get blessed in some way? But no matter what, my contentment, my satisfaction should not be based on those circumstances that are always changing. And if you think about the book of James, God wants to send trials into my life because that's the tool he uses to to shape me, to refine me, to purify me, and to make me more complete and more sanctified. So if I'm putting my hope and my satisfaction in circumstances, and at the same time, I want to grow in sanctification, I'm going to face constant uh, temptation to be discontent. But the thing that I put my contentment on, my foundation of my contentment, is Christ. That's what Paul's saying. And yet, in chapter 3, Barclay points out, Paul doesn't seem to be content with Christ. Well, okay, that's saying it. (laughs) That's saying it a little bit controversial. He's not content with how he knows Christ or where he's at with Christ. And so here, Paul actually says, I'm discontent. I'm straining. I'm striving. I keep going. And so... It's it's a cool it's a cool little um, contrast he's noted, and I, I think it's I think it's really there in the text. Paul knows Christ; he's been saved by Christ. He literally learned from Christ in a way that like you and I haven't. 
And yet he's not satisfied in that. He wants more. He wants to know Christ more. He wants to serve him more. He wants a deeper relationship with him. And so I think Barclay's right to say there is an element in Paul where he's discontent. So in his chapter on this, I thought he was really helpful in that he he has three aspects of uh, what it looks like to be a contented Christian and yet be discontent. And so his first aspect is that the discontented or the contented, sorry, the contented Christian is a dissatisfied Christian. And again, that just sounds like the opposite of what he's been saying in the book. But here's his point is when you look at the circumstances of your life, because of Christ, you're content. But when you look at your growth in Christ and your love for Christ, there's a holy dissatisfaction where you want to know him more. And that's okay. I think sometimes when we look at our walk with God and we're not where we know we should be, we, uh, and, and rightly so, are, are sad about that. And we're, oh man, I, I know I should be better by now. And I think sometimes we look at that and think, oh, I'm a failure. And well, of course, we don't meet up to the holiness and glory of God. But Barclay's saying that's actually a good thing. And I think that's a sign of growth. And so um, he says this, he says, the, the contented Christian is the most contented person in the world. That is like the experiences and situations. And yet he is also the most unsatisfied. He longs to know Christ, to have more intimate knowledge of him and to be conformed to his image, to share in his work. This side of glory, the Christian will never attain what he desires. He will always want more. So it's actually a mark of being a biblical Christian that you look at your walk with God and you seem discontent. Now, some of you out there have a tender conscience and you know your sins, you know where you don't measure up. And so when you see sin and you see where you need to grow, what do you do? Do you wallow in self-pity? I think what he would say is, this is actually okay. This is the spirit working in you. This is him pointing out sin. And so don't stop. Don't give up. Strain. Press on. Those are the verbs that Paul uses in his wife life. Now, he said, he quotes Jeremiah Burroughs here, which he's a, he, he wrote the book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, which is way older. And he says, Jeremiah Burroughs puts it this way. A soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. I mean, that almost mimics C.S. Lewis's quote about, if I find a desire in myself that's not met by this world, it must mean that I was created for something greater or else. So I thought that was an, an interesting point. Um, he also quotes, he, he has some really good quotes in that section. So the, the first characteristic of a discontented, of a contented Christian is he's dissatisfied, but in his walk with God, like he wants to know more. Uh, the second aspect of a contented Christian in this like idea of being dissatisfied is that he's a single-minded Christian. Now, if you look in the text, uh, he says this in verse 13, he says, one thing I do. And he, he points out that there's a couple of times uh, the word like one thing comes up in the text in the New Testament. And I'm not sure the connection is 100%, but it's interesting. So here, Paul says, one thing I do, I strain on, I press on toward the upward call of God. He also takes us over to another passage in Luke 10. Now, this is the passage where Mary and Martha are in the house and Jesus is there and Mary sits down at his feet to listen and Martha is busy serving. And he says, uh, Mary, Martha comes up to Jesus and says, like, look at Mary, what's she doing? She's not helping. And Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, that's like that idea of discontentment and dissatisfaction. 
Then he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. And so he just points out there's like the similar wording, which I think the two top, the two sections are interesting. I don't know how exactly connected there because of the phraseology there. But I do think it's important to note that if you're single-mindedly focused on your walk with God, that necessarily is going to grow contentment in your life when it comes to your circumstances. So I do think that's a good point. And then the last point he makes is that the contented Christian strains forward in the pursuit of his heavenly goal. Here he points out that as the as a Christian, as you're learning to walk with God, there is a restlessness or a dissatisfaction. But when you note that dissatisfaction, it doesn't result in sloth or self-pity. It results in more effort or more focus or more determination or more single-mindedness. And so here Paul kind of uses the illustration of maybe a runner who's running a race and you know, he's going through pain, he's exhausted. I mean, he doesn't say this, but you're imagining a runner. But what's his single-minded focus? It's the prize at the end. And so I think when we see, when God reveals sin, when God reveals areas we need to grow, we can be tempted to think, man, I should be farther along. Man, I should have grown more. Man, I'm not satisfied. Man, I... And, and we can be tempted to be dissatisfied in, in a way that leads us to quitting. And what he's pointing out is that Paul's dissatisfaction, because it was founded on wanting to know Christ, actually was like a race and it pushed him forward. And I thought that was a very helpful way of thinking about this. Um, he's, it's, it's interesting, when you get saved and you know Christ, you have peace with God. And when you have peace, the idea is, oh, I can be passive now. I can just sit around because I have peace. But it's actually not that way in the Christian life. When you have peace with God, it motivates you. That grace motivates you. And so he says it like this. He says, the peaceful, contented Christian who knows that his eternity is secure in Christ presses on to know Christ better, content yet discontent. This is a mystery, but it is the way to true peace. So I thought that was a helpful um, thought process, especially I think if you're the Christian who when you see sin, the spirit reveals sin in your life, you get, uh, and I, I, I want to be careful, you get depressed. It is right though to mourn your sin. And in the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus says that, like those who long for, you know, they're mournful, their, right, their lack of righteousness can cause them that. But I, I think this is helpful. Paul he wants to know Christ more. He's probably aware of his shortcomings and his sins, and it pushes him to strive all the more. So I think that could add, add some helpful balance. Okay, well, what do you guys think? You got any thoughts? You brought up uh, several good points. This whole idea of just being discontent with your relationship with the Lord is an aspect of discontent that I had never really thought of. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's definitely like true. You need to go and continue and, and seek more and more and more. You always want to get to know the Lord more. How did you connect that again to Philippians chapter four? I don't know if I totally followed you there. So in, in four, that's like the main verse we've been using. And in there, Paul says he's learned to be content and the contentment is in worldly circumstances, no matter what his worldly situation is. But in three, and here's where I think Barclay's onto something, but I'm not like when I read three, 12 through 13, 14, I don't know that I saw it as Paul being discontent, but I think Barclay's point is 
he knows Christ, his relationship with Christ, and he knows Christ really well compared to maybe us. And yet, what does he do? He doesn't sit there. He actually presses forward. And I think sometimes Christians like, oh, I've, I've been forgiven. I don't need to work on holiness. Or I've been forgiven. I don't need to serve. I can just live how I want. And I think this is an example where Paul knew the Lord and it, it motivated him to continue to know the Lord and continue to serve. I think that was the, mm-hmm. the contrast he was bringing out, which yeah, I, thought okay. was, I thought it was helpful. It's a little weird to me to say, I'm discontent in God. I don't think that's what he means. It's, I think he's being a little provocative because I wouldn't be discontent in the character of God. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what he's saying. It's like I'm discontent with my relationship with the Lord and that I want to be closer to him. I want to yeah. have a... Yes. Yeah. So I see that in uh, Philippians 3.12, at least a cursory reading, not that I have already attained or am mm-hmm. already yep. perfected. You're not there, but I press on that I may lay hold, lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So yeah, okay, I can see that some, that's interesting, just continuing to press on and yeah. Yeah, the verse that came into my mind when you're talking about having peace with God, and but that peace isn't, oh, I'm just fine the way I am. Like there's still a need to grow. And uh, the verse that came into my mind is the, the, that love casts out fear in 1 John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm not an expert in 1 John, but he's talking about the whole section, like we've been given the Spirit and God abides in us like he abided in his Son, and that's through the Spirit. And the thought was that uh, like a motivation to uh, to grow could be out of fear, like doing things for the wrong reason, like you do Christian things because you know you're supposed to, or out of a, I don't know, fear is maybe the right word, and that's a word that First John uses. But when you have the that peace and that love, you still abide in Christ, but you're doing it because he loved you first. Like yes. the grace and mm-hmm. the love of God in Christ is the motivator to, for you to abide, not a fear of punishment. And that's why you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think that's good though, to, to think through. Like, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be just content or what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, yeah, what is the word for that? Like you're sitting complacent. Back. Complacent. Yeah, there we go. way to go, Dr. Little. Yep, that's the word I was looking for. Um, you shouldn't be complacent. And uh, you know, that we could get into a discussion of like a lukewarm Christian. Um, but uh we best not go there. Maybe not. So I think it makes me want to vomit. Did, oh, two <laughs> points, two points, sir. <laughs> Oh, if you were just hotter. Okay. Anyways, um, can't do it. Can't do it. it didn't Dr. Myron always say, uh, when he's talking about the law, that the law makes demands, and so then it motivates you by punishment. But yeah. Then he said, the law strikes gr- fear. Yeah. Grace is the opposite of that, and yet grace calls you to action also. But it's a different way of motivating. And I, I think for me, like I've talked, I mean myself, and I've talked to other students, and I've talked to other people where. You, you see your sin and then you just get incapacitated. And in those moments, I think you're probably not being discontent as much. You are being like afraid and it's okay to be discontented. It's okay to say, man, I need to grow. But when Paul sees that and Paul was Paul people, 
he pushed on, he pressed on. And I think there's a lot of times in life where, man, you're forgiven and Christ loves you. I mean, a lot of times when I preach at the end, I, I, I want it to hit home, but I also want the listener to know, like the, the people, like today, if we, if some sin has come up in your mind and the Lord's brought it up, you know, remember Christ has died for that sin and you're forgiven. So now get up and move and, and grow and walk in the newness of life. It's not like, oh man, I've sinned again. I, I'm never going to do this. I'm just going to fall down. But there is a discontentment that get, is good and it can lead to action and holiness. And I thought I was having too, is you think about that, that wanting to grow and get better at something, but the motive that's driving you, whether it be a fear or, or grace or love, uh, like thinking about a, a job, and if, if you were purely motivated to do your job, like you're given tasks and things to do, and the only reason you're doing them is because you're afraid if you don't do them, you're going to lose your job. Yes. Like yep. what's your performance going to be mm-hmm. like? What is life going to be yep. like? Where you're just, you're, 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 you know, looking around every corner, you're just paralyzed of like, man, I have to do this just right, or yep. I'm going to lose this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble. And that fear motivates everything you do at the job. And, and how would it be different if the employer, the boss came to you and said, like, guess what? You're not going to lose your job. It's secure. I care for you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you everything you need. But here's what I want you to do. And like having that peace and knowing the character of, of the employer would just let you do all the same. You're doing the exact same things. But the way you're doing it is filled with joy and, and love, and, and you're probably going to succeed in them as opposed to, you know, being so nervous and you're probably making mistakes. And, uh, but that, I think that'd be a great parallel to, you know, the demands of righteousness aren't that much different from the law to grace. There's still yep. a moral requirement, but what is removed from not being under the law is the component of fear. It's that being forgiven in Christ, you, you, you're, you're there, like you're not, you're not going to lose it. And so be content in your position in Christ, but then you need to press on. You need, yeah. to, you need to do what he's asked you to do, motivated out of the love. Yeah. And in both of these passages, it's what you just said. The foundation is not fear. The foundation is a relationship with Christ. That's how Paul can be content in worldly problematic situations or in riches. And that's why he presses on to know Christ more. It's almost like he's seen the goodness of Christ and he wants, he's going to not be content. Uh, this is a really good input. Um, just from like your illustration, I think it's a really good illustration when people are living in the spirit, but when you have somebody that's living in the flesh and they work for you, then you have to deal with that somehow. And God does too. And God does too. And sometimes that might, in a real world at least experience, sometimes it has to deal with uh, some uncertainty about somebody's employment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, there might be some listeners that are listening to that and they need to take it seriously. Like, oh yeah, you know what? I love this person and I hope they don't fear me. But in some situations, especially with some vocations, they have a high turnover for a reason. <laughs> sure. Well, isn't it uh, in first or second Timothy that says the law is not for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker. Yeah, there you go. So, well, I would just say this. Um, if you're walking with the Lord and as you're in the word and you're walking in the spirit, you're seeing your sin and you're seeing, you know, man, I am just not where I want to be. Don't, don't look at the law and look at the punishment and look at your shame and guilt. I mean, be aware, but Christ, he paid for that. 
He died for that. He loves you. You got to think of him like someone who loves you first. Mm-hmm. And when you think about Christ as your loving uh, Lord who cares for you enough to die for you, then when you see that you have more growth needed, it should be something where you want to press on. And I think the illustration of a, a boss who loves you and cares about you really helps. Mm-hmm. If, you've, if you've ever worked for someone you love, you want to, and you want to do it well. Um, so this week, maybe ask yourself this question, what is my view of Christ? What is my view of how he views me and my sin? And are you content with how you know him? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings podcast.